0: about tonight the word of the Lord is good the prophet said it was like honey to his taste David wrote the statutes of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes Jesus said we don't live by bread alone but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God it protects us it guides us It's a lamp to our feet, and it's a light to our path. It's a powerful word. Father, we ask you tonight to speak to us. Lord, open our hearts that we might understand what you put in the heart of the Apostle Paul, and he penned inerrantly. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and guiding us and encouraging us and strengthening us through your word now will you breathe a prayer and say Lord tonight renew my mind change me in Jesus mighty name amen we'll turn to somebody and tell them it's going to be good tonight going to help you amen glory to God well God is still on his throne do you believe that Last time we saw that because of their rejection of Jesus Christ, God will send them, and I'm quoting here from the verse, quote, God will send them, that is the rejecters, strong delusion. So where does the strong delusion come from? It comes from God. That they should believe, and we pointed out last time, the lie, not a lie, not any old lie, but the lie. And what is the lie? That Antichrist is literally God. There will be such a strong delusion on earth during the tribulation period that Antichrist will go into the temple, the rebuilt temple, go into the Holy of Holies and he will declare, not just once, but over at least the last three and a half years of the tribulation, it will be his M.O. to tell the world he's God. It's an ongoing thing. And those that have rejected Christ when you reject the truth you always accept a lie that's as certain as gravity now this will take place during the Great Tribulation uh, which shall come upon the earth following the rapture of the church now it's gonna be a time of unparalleled trouble on earth which Christ said must be shortened that is the time of trouble it's called Jacob's trouble if any flesh were to survive it, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22, nobody would survive if God did not shorten the time. Now we also saw that the final consequence of rejecting Christ would be, quote, that they may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I said last time, I wish that weren't true. That's the one thing, well, there's a few things in Scripture that I can't wrap my mind around. God always having existed my mind can't go into infinity and neither can yours but i know he always was and always will be and right now he he dwells in eternity that's hard for me to grasp but living condemned unendingly is hard for me to grasp i wish it weren't true but we have no right to change the word of god it's not up to us it's up to us to teach what it says and to warn people about what it says and that's what it says that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth that being Jesus Christ but they had pleasure in unrighteousness as Jesus himself said they love the darkness more than the light I mean we see that everywhere today now this time we're gonna see that in spite of all the terrible events soon to unfold on the earth Read this with me. God is still on his throne. Do you believe that? Let's say it again. God is still on his throne. He's sovereign over all of it. He's the Lord. He's the sovereign. And his purposes are all yea and amen in Jesus Christ. So God's got it all under control. Though it doesn't look like it, he does. We can almost hear a sigh of relief now as Paul turns his attention from the vile antichrist to the dear converts that he led to Christ in Thessalonica. Them, in the great tribulation? Paul says, no, thank God, there was something to be thankful about. He writes in chapter two, verse 13, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Let me do that again. I love the Word. I just love to read it. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. And then look what he says about them. Because God from the beginning chose, look at your neighbor and say, "That, that means you. Chose you. For salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, they would never believe the lie because they had believed the truth. The salvation spoken of here is almost certainly referring to deliverance from the Antichrist and the coming delusion. He says, since you've embraced the truth, you will not be subject to that lie. And that's the salvation he's talking about. Thank God it's a deliverance. Now, God's electing, and I'm going to talk to you about that big word, election, electing, and chosen as we go along now. But God's electing process takes place in eternity. And here's another thing I can't wrap my mind around. From the beginning, you ready? God knew you. From the beginning, God knew you. When you were born, God did not say, well, there's a new one. No, no, he knew you from the beginning. God himself has chosen for his people that we should escape this coming storm. Our sanctification by the Holy Spirit ensures it. Our belief in him who is the truth guarantees our escape from him who is the lie. Now, we should be clear here that Paul is not teaching that some are chosen. And this is what I want to really bring over to you tonight because some believe this. Let's look at it. Paul is not teaching that some are chosen by God to be saved while others are chosen by God to be lost. That's what we would call hardcore Calvinism. Five-point Calvinism. But God did not do that. Now, let me tell you why I cannot embrace that doctrine. I can't embrace it. I can't embrace that teaching or that belief system because I can't reconcile it with a God of love. If that were true, God would have to be a monster. That he would say to some that are born, well, I don't think you're going to make it to heaven. I damn you to hell. You will never be able to find me. And then to another, well, I choose you for heaven. You will inevitably, inexorably find me. I can't reconcile that with John's statement that God is love. I'm sorry. There's no way a God of love could damn somebody to an eternity in hell. And they have no choice in the matter. No way. As we say in Texas, Jose. God gave to each of us, say it with me, a will. And God has set up certain rules by and within which our will can operate. He has to respect man's will. Otherwise, in the case of the human race, he would not have created people but puppets. And I am convinced that what God was after in human beings was a creature, if you will, who chooses to worship him. That's what he was after. Because I've racked my brain over this. Why, Why did God create man with a will knowing he would blow it so bad? He had to have been after something. What was he after? He was after a creature, a being, who had the capacity to love him and chose to worship him and love him. What joy is he going to get out of puppets on a string? Well, it's time for you to worship me. Here you go. I'm the puppet master and you're the puppet. What is that? No. He gave us a will so that when we worship him in spirit and in truth, it means something. I mean, that's the way love is. Nobody wants somebody to love them because they made them love them. They want to know that they found something in you, in me, to love. And they're doing it of their own free will. So, he would not have created people but puppets. God did not do that. C.S. Lewis wrote, quote, God cannot give a creature a will of its own and at the same time withhold free will from that creature. God cannot do two mutually exclusive things at the same time. And by the way, if, if it's all his will how does he judge anybody for sin? That is, if he damns you to hell and you can't help that, then why in the world would he judge you for being sinful if you're under his inexorable will and you can't help it? No, we have a will. If there's no will, there's no sin. Because sin is a bad choice of a will. Are you with me? All right. So when Paul says, God from the beginning chose you, he is simply showing us that God is able to choose, elect, and predestinate because the future is all foreknown to him. That's why he can say he chose you. Now let me give you a little example. If I know somebody is coming to my house in five days, I can predestine all kinds of things for them food a nice room a fun gathering of people nice ambiance nice atmosphere i can plan all kinds of things if i know they're coming i can choose all kinds of things for them to experience on their arrival if i know they're coming So when you got saved, God did not go into shock. Even though there were some people that knew you, they went into shock. That sure was the case with me. So they say, what? I don't think my dad ever got over that I became a preacher. And they said, what? It, you? You? There's going to be some people in heaven you're not going to believe. And some people are going to be shocked that you're there. Now watch this. No, God did not go into shock. God said, I knew you were coming all the time. I knew your name, your face, your DNA makeup, your genetics, everything before time began. (laughs) Overdose, overdose, TMI, too much information, right? You can't wrap your mind around that. How could that be true? If you're dealing with a genuine G-O-D, capital G, God, that's the only way that can be true. So God didn't go into shock when you got. He knew you were coming all the time. Y'all are quiet tonight. All right. God knew you would one day come to him, and so he predestined all of the joys and benefits of salvation for you preemptively, ahead of time. That's what he did. So that's what it means, chose. He chose, it's not that he inexorably chose you, it's what he chose for you, knowing you were coming. Now, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, to which he called you by our gospel. Oh, I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe. Now, he says, To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To which he called you. How did you come into what he had for you? You came into what he had for you via the gospel. The gospel. Now, far from being destined to the doom and gloom of the great tribulation and the dark shadow of the Antichrist, The church is destined for glory. Isn't that what it said? Obtaining of the glory, the glory Jesus gets, you're going to be in on it when he returns. So the church is destined for glory. Next, Paul gets down to practical challenges for believers. He gets practical. And this is very what we would call Pauline. Pauline. It's of Paul. This is like Paul. It's it's the way he always does. That is, he always introduces doctrine and behavior at the same time. If he gives you doctrine, he's going to give you how you need to respond to it. In behavior. So, he says in verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Everybody say that with me. Stand fast. And hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, three things uh, quickly. Stand fast. Notice that. And then that word that we don't tend to like, traditions. I'm going to talk about those first. Anytime you see the word therefore, do you see it there in verse 15, therefore? Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should pause to see what it's there for. Here's why. Because it draws attention to what came before it. And it's important. Or therefore would not be there, therefore. In this case, it draws our attention to all of those end time Horrors that he's been talking to us about that are going to burst upon the world soon. To God's glory, we're to share in the end time glories of Christ Jesus. Therefore, in light of the fact that he's delivered us from that and we're walking in the truth, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. That's out of Galatians. So one of Paul's repetitive phrases is stand fast, hold fast. The fact that God has chosen us to share in the splendors of his Son makes certain demands upon us. That is, we have a responsibility. Look at all that God's done. Look where you were before you were saved and look at yourself now. And look at what he spared you from. What would have become of you? Where you would have ended up? How your life would have been spent? And then go, wait a minute, since he did all that for me, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, then I've got a responsibility to do what? Stand. Shout it to me, church. Stand fast. Oh, that's good. Now, Paul also mentions tradition. We don't like that word. He says, hold the traditions which you were taught. When I hear that word, the first thing I think of is religion. Religion. Just dry, dead, Um, that word, when I came to Christ and was walking with the Lord all through the 70s and 80s um, in the Jesus movement and whatnot, we would always talk about tradition and how it was not of God. It was religious, rules, regulations, and this and that and the other, and it had a bad reputation because it came to mean human teachings interwoven with truth, thus containing a great deal of error. It was man-made stuff. And we didn't want tradition. We didn't want to be traditional. We want to be Holy Ghost filled and scriptural and biblical and on fire and tradition didn't mean any of that. But that's not what this word means where Paul used it. The word Paul uses means something that has been delivered from one person to another by oral communication, word of mouth from one person to the other. See, in the early church, Uh, It was a while before anything was written down. 1 Thessalonians was one of the first. The Gospels, any of them, before they were ever written down, all you had was people telling each other things that Jesus had said and what the apostles were telling them that he had said. Do you get that? There, There was no New Testament. All they had was tradition, things being translated by word of mouth. Oh, let me tell you what Jesus said Peter would say to somebody. He said, forgive others as he forgave you. And if you don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive you. And you better forgive. And and you can hear James telling them, you know, uh, bless those that curse you and do good to those that hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you because that's what Jesus said. But it was all word of mouth before they wrote it down. Now, now, When dealing with Scripture, we've got to understand. You say, well, then, Pastor, how do we know that it's right, what we have? Because we know, don't we, that I can tell her something without you hearing me, and then let her tell her and him and him and her, and let it go down a few aisles, and by the time it gets over here, it's not going to be at all what I first said. We know that. So we go, how in the world do we know then That it was given to us accurately because i know how talk goes that's how rumors start i'm going to show you how the word paul uses means something that has been delivered from one person to another and when dealing with scripture we've got to understand that the holy spirit kept the teachings of the early church pure even though they were initially passed on from person to person orally And let me show you how you can know that the Holy Spirit did that. Jesus foretold the entire process of how we would get the New Testament. Are you ready? Jesus said, quote, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Read it with me. He will teach you all things. Now here comes the important part. He's talking to the apostles here and bring to your memory whatever I have said to you. There, that covers the Gospels. Because you see what Jesus promised. We are not relying on the memories or faithfulness of word of mouth transmission of teaching. We're not relying on human ability. We know we have the word of God because Jesus said, the Holy Ghost, who I'm going to send, is going to supernaturally bring to your memory everything I said. So here sat Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They sit down to write their gospel, and what is going on? The Holy Ghost is saying, remember this, remember that, do you see, remember this, remember, 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 remember? And there is a supernatural memory process taking place under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not normal, not natural. It's not like any other book has ever been written. But it doesn't stop there. Because there is how we got the Gospels. But what about the rest? How do we know that we have the original words of Jesus? Unchanged, untainted, unedited. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to bring to you, the apostles. He was talking about the apostles. Memory, the memory of whatever I said to you. And it was the same process for the rest of Scripture. Watch this, John 15, verses 26 to 27. Quote, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? Testify of me. All right? Then it goes on. And you also will bear witness. You will be the mouthpiece. Of the Holy Spirit, who is going to be testifying of me through you. Because you have been with me from the beginning. That's talking about the apostles and everybody after that. This covers the book of Acts. What's the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus. The gospel broke open upon the whole world. And how did it happen? Through Peter, James, John, Matthew, Paul. And the book of Acts is all about the Holy Spirit testifying. Of Jesus through men but it doesn't stop there again in John's gospel we read these words quote I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now do you know that there are certain things concerning truth that we could not handle right now there are truths of the word and truths about God that would be very difficult for some of us to handle do you know that truth is not easy it's a whole lot easier to believe a lie Because truth is tough on you. I don't watch many movies. I don't like Hollywood. But I do remember that one movie, Cruz and Nicholson, and that statement, you can't handle the truth. You know what? We can't. Sometimes there's truth that's hard to hear. And so Jesus said, you know what, there's so much more that I want to say to you, but it would blow your mind. You wouldn't be able to handle it now. So what am I going to do about that? However, he goes on, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you, say it with me, he will guide you all truth. In other words, the rest of what I want you to understand is coming later. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever the Holy Spirit hears Jesus say, he will speak. The Spirit will speak. Now, what is that speaking to you right there? And he will tell you things to come. That covers the epistles. Even Peter said of Paul's writings, there's a lot of things that Paul is writing about that are hard to understand. God chose Paul, more than any of the other apostles, to give us the things that we could not have understood if we were the apostles before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There were things God wanted His church to understand, things we're going over right now, that He reserved for the apostles to receive and reveal it to us. Are y'all with me? So, that covers the epistles. And there's one more good one. Finally, John writes again. He'll tell you what? Things that are going to come. There you've got the book of Revelation. So the whole Bible, the Gospels, Acts, the epistles and revelations, Jesus told us in the book of John exactly how we were going to receive them. The Holy Spirit supernaturally protected these oral traditions from any admixture of error. All of them were written down before the last of the apostles died. Amazing. Amazing. Now, Paul told the Thessalonians that they were to hold these traditions. How? Strongly. That is the teachings. That they should actually master them. Know it very well. That's why we're going over the Word of God here. I want you to know the Word of God. Okay? So, they were to grasp the truth firmly because they had been shaken with false teaching. This warning was needed because they were already wondering oh, has the day of the Lord come? Has the rapture already happened? Are we in the great tribulation? And they have been shaken. So Paul said, now get back. Get back to what you've been taught. Get back to what I told you. Now, not only did Paul tell them where the teachings came from, but also what the New Testament teachings convey. He writes in verse 16, And he has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. You know, there's bad hope. You know what bad hope is? when you got your hope in something that can't come through. There's bad hope. You're hoping in something that isn't ever going to happen for you. But if you've got your hope in God and in the promises of God, it's a good hope. It's not going to fail you. It will never leave you ashamed, Paul said. So the comfort that the Lord Jesus and the Father give us is eternal and it's everlasting. We have what Paul calls a good hope we might define hope as a well-grounded expectation in regards to the future. It's well-grounded. It's not wishful thinking comprised of hope so, maybe so, or cross your fingers and hope to die so. That's not the kind of hope we've got. Our hope is grounded in the eternal promises of God. It is also called the blessed hope. Our hope dominates our entire future skyline. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Amen. Now, God's grace is our guarantee. Our prospect is grace, not wrath, not uh, escape, not tribulation. So we can look forward to grace, not wrath, and escape, not tribulation, not the great tribulation. We're going to have tribulation in this world, but not the great one. Paul closes chapter 2 with a prayer that God may, in verse 17, he says, I pray that God comforts your hearts and establishes you in every good word and work. That's my prayer for you. Now chapter 3 begins with a prayer request. Here we go in chapter 3. He says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. I love that. And be glorified just as it is with you that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Now, I want you to notice, Paul, he's, he's writing to his own converts, and he's saying, please pray for us. Pray for us. You know, we never reach a place in our Christian life where we no longer need the prayers of others. I heard of a preacher who was approached by one of his people. I heard this either on television or radio just a while back. This, this A person in his congregation said, said, Pastor, I'm praying for you. He said, I don't need your prayers. Pray for yourself. He's doomed. Because I'll tell all of you, I need your prayers. Any day, 24 7, I need your prayers. I pray for you. You pray for me. This mightiest apostle of all said, Thessalonian church, please pray for me. I need your prayers. The greatest of all the apostles needed prayer. Prayer is the most powerful force on earth. That's why we're fasting and praying right now. Because there is no power greater than prayer. Commentator John Phillips, my favorite commentator, writes these words Prayer can place us in a village in Africa or in a hut on the Amazon, it can put us in a peasant's cottage or in a royal palace. It can sit us alongside a suffering saint or raise a roadblock in the path of a scoundrel. And boy, have I used that one a few times. You don't know how often I pray God block them, God distract them, God hinder them, the enemies of the cross. It can do its work in the heart of a seeker at the close of a service. Prayer can change the course of empires. It can put to rout spiritual forces of wickedness In high places. And it can bind evil spirits and set their captives free. Prayer. Prayer links us with the throne of the universe. It connects us with the mind, heart, and will of God. Prayer is one of the forces of the universe as real as gravity, electricity, and magnetism. Prayer. That's why we're praying this week and always And I encourage you to step up your prayers this week because this year we're going to see God move. Amen? So he says, pray for us, the apostle requested. Then he specifically tells why. It was for the proclamation of the message. He says that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified even as it is with you. I want the message to run, not limp, not crawl, run. The apostle wanted all hindrances, to the gospel to be swept aside that it might make rapid progress in the world. Now, I gotta tell you, as a preacher of God's Word, this is the burden and desire of my heart. I want the Word of the Lord to run swiftly through us across the world. I have a burden to take the Word to the world, to the culture, not just to the church, but to our culture. So I agree, amen, let it run swiftly, without a hindrance. You know, I've learned through the years that the devil is very clever at hindering. As Paul testified in 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, look at what he said, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but read it with me, Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. I so appreciate him being honest. He said, it wasn't me. It wasn't circumstances, it was Satan, and he hindered us. And Paul was used to experiencing frustrating hindrances. I know exactly what it feels like, myself. He was hindered by imprisonment. He was hindered by shipwrecks. Even at times he was hindered by his own discouragement. He got discouraged. He told the Corinthians later that he knew what it was to be handicapped on all sides, to be puzzled and to be persecuted. He was honest about it. Thank God for his honesty. Now here's an indisputable fact. Listen carefully to me. I think some of you are here tonight just to hear this. If he can't stop you altogether, Satan will seek to hinder your progress by distracting you, slowing you down, or discouraging you. That's what he's after. Here's an indisputable fact. If he can't stop you altogether, Satan will seek to hinder your progress by distracting you, slowing you down, or discouraging you. Listen to what I'm going to tell you now. Sometimes, if the devil can't defeat you, he'll defeat somebody whose defeat defeats you. Somebody you love. Somebody that's close to your heart. Somebody that can get to you like maybe no one else can. And you've got some emotion and some time invested in them. They're close to you. And if Satan can't defeat you, he'll try to defeat somebody whose defeat defeats you. And you can't even let that happen. Because Jesus didn't. Because Judas got defeated. And his defeat did not defeat Jesus from going to the cross. Strong word there, but it's real. Let me tell you, Satan plays dirty. (laughs) Dirty, dirty, dirty. He plays dirty. And he'll get at you any way he can. He'll lay rocks in your path, pitfalls on the road you travel. He'll attempt to detour you by creating side streets that lead off of the highway of righteousness. Let me give you some of the names of these streets. How about Sensual Fulfillment Boulevard? How about get rich quick street? These are distractions. He's the master distractor. How about it's all about you drive? Or how about path of least resistance lane? And don't forget the worldly pursuits cul-de-sac. You're chasing the world's pursuits, and all you do is go around in circles, and you get nowhere. You're in a cul-de-sac. He'll do anything to get you off the road distract you, take time off your life. Distractions, hindering dilemmas, temptations to other things are all a part of Satan's bag of tricks. And guess what? He keeps using them because they keep working. Paul said, pray for us that the word of the Lord will run swiftly without hindrance. Now Paul continues by requesting prayer for the protection of the messengers. And here's the last verse we're going to cover tonight look what he says in verse two that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men have you ever needed to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men have you i have i've had to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men people who oppress you harass you are backing you into a corner who are the devil's adversaries who have become his mouthpiece Who have become his mouthpiece for accusation for coming against you defining you down unreasonable and wicked men they're not listening to the truth they don't care about the truth it used to be that preachers and missionaries were in danger in lands where islam hinduism and communism were dominant but no more increasingly in the west including america forces hostile to the gospel of jesus christ are growing stronger as we speak. Listen, Satan's a skilled player on life's chessboard. He knows how to move his men to check the advance of the gospel. But praise God, he's no match for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Prayer can cancel his deadly assignments and throw open doors for the gospel no man could ever open on his own. And as Paul and the church prayed then, so must we pray now that the word of the Lord would run swiftly without interference and that Satan's assignments would be bound and that the Lord's people would be protected from unreasonable and wicked men. Amen. Amen. Can we stand together? Well, that's good stuff. And next week, we're going to finish chapter 3. And who knows where we'll go after that, but I'll tell you where it'll be. It'll be teaching the Scriptures. Because isn't this good? I mean, doesn't this bless you? Amen? Amen. You guys are going to get so smart in the Word of God. And that's good. Because the more you learn, the more the devil has a concern. Now, Lord, we just thank you right now for the good Word of God. And we do pray, Lord, that as we fast and pray this week, as we seek your will, as we draw near to you, as we boldly approach your throne of grace, that you, Lord, would open doors and you, Lord, would still the mouth of the enemy. And you, Lord, would let the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, run swiftly, without hindrance, through this church. We pray for it. And we pray that Satan is going to lose his grip on people. That he's going to have to let go of the bound. And that he's going to have to turn loose of the lost. And Lord, that we're going to experience a new grace and a new favor as we seek your wonderful face. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you just pray right now with me and say, Lord, this year,